Springtime. Calves placed in the feed yard last fall were doing well and going up on feed. There was a pen of 400,000 pound steers that suddenly had four of them that showed up with blindness, recumbency, and difficulty walking around. After two days, three of them were dead. What happened in this case? Welcome to Tox Talk. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Scott Fritz, who's toxicologist here at Kansas State College of Veterinary Medicine. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Brad. So this is a case that, that we'll work through and, and a little bit interesting in that, as I've outlined in the opening, this is, this is at a feedlot. The cattle are in a pen of 400 head. They've been increasing on feed. Everybody's doing great. They're 1,000 pounders. We're looking to keep going in the finishing phase. We're on the home stretch. Shouldn't and have any problems. <laughs> shouldn't have any health problems, right? And all of a sudden, and, and maybe I'll dive into, so I threw out some of the signs that these cattle had, but tell us a little bit more about what the initial veterinarian observed or the producer observed in this case. So the initial complaint was there was um, a couple of them that were just dead and then a few other that were recumbent. And, you know, it's the clinical signs, the ataxia, the blindness, recumbency. I, you know, I, I don't think any of the listeners are probably too surprised that our differentials are going to be somewhere in the polio realm, you know, you know, brainers of some sort. The history I got, they had already attempted to treat some. They were using some thiamine, uh, corticosteroids, and probably some sort of antibiotic and weren't getting the response they wanted or expected to see. And so that, to me, we have a different thing going on than a traditional polio yeah and it's it's sudden well there's a couple things here to think about one sudden onset no previous illness no history of illness in this group no no problem until all of a sudden and then many of our neurologic diseases appear to be sudden onset but often it's a one or a two right a one calf or two calves and, and here and i mentioned there were four that ended up having problems, but there was a handful of others, five or six, that were also affected, right? And I don't know if they all ended up dying, but this is, you're talking 10 or 11 in a pen of 400. This is a significant problem. Sure, especially at that weight, you know, you wouldn't expect to have problems. And I agree, it's the, you know, onesie, twosie kind of thing is what you normally see. And this, there were just too many at one time to be a, a normal thing. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit uh, differential-wise what's going on in the case and, and what are we thinking about because obviously neurologic, with all the signs, blind, recumbency, ended up resulting in death, some other issues, and you mentioned some of the treatments, but let's go through, so certainly polio is really high on our list. What else is on your list in this case early on in the process? Like a lead encephalopathy would be a great option, a um, little bit weird in a feedlot setting. I mean, you'll see them, but... Typically, that's more of a pasture situation for me. You know, then you got to start wondering about water delivery to, you know, sodium intoxication, water deprivation, whichever you want to call it. Um, those, you know, for the blindness especially, those are my top three. Okay. So what did the veterinarian do right away? So they tried to treat the clinic or the, you know, triage the situation and the less affected ones tried to treat them. Um, they were, like I said, they were giving them thiamine, some dexamethasone and Typically, in a sulfur-associated polio, those calves will get up. You know, it's, it's not that hard to treat. Thiamine's a pretty good treatment for that. And they weren't doing that. And then for the um, carcasses, they performed a necropsy. You know, this is, there's too many dead, and so they got to do something. Really didn't see much grossly and sent a bunch of samples in. And luckily, they, you know, it was fairly close, so they were able to get to the lab um, quickly. And so the brain on that, at least the calf we got, 
you know, took it in, immediately opened it, took it in a dark room, put it under the black light, and it fluoresced. And so that, to me, is... And that's something you could do in practice, too, yeah. right? you got the brain. You, can, you take it into a dark room, black light, if it fluoresces, you know you've got a lesion of polioencephalomalacia, but you don't still know the cause, right? So di differentiate that lesion of polio from the actual, because we also call the disease sulfur-induced yeah. polio. <clears throat> so tell me a little bit about the difference. Yeah, so it's just, I mean, polio, the disease syndrome to me is a neurologic disease that lacks a specific etiology. And polio, the lesion is just describing, you know, where, where in the brain that the neurons are actually dying. And, you know, it's sort of equa equated with laminar cortical necrosis. So it's the junction of the white and gray matter. You know, you get some dead neurons there and that starts to malaise and that's what ultimately will fluoresce with a black light. So that fluorescence with the black light, does that narrow down if it's lead, polio, sulfur-induced polio, or salt toxicosis? No, those all yep. three can cause that lesion. And so it's still, you know, it's at least we, we're narrowing. We're sure it's a brain problem now. Right. Yeah, at least we know it's a, a brain issue. Um, we still need to work through that and try to make a diagnosis. Okay. So going through that, going through that process, and you've got your differentials. So the necropsy, no gross lesions. You send it in, and then the other piece that you mentioned is they're not thiamine responsive, but probably still, did you, did you take water samples, feed samples? Because that would be our most common thing that we'd be thinking of is sulfur-induced with, with water and feed combination. Sure, especially in a feedlot. So, yeah, we did get the ration. We got some water. So, you, you know, they're additive, and so you can calculate that. We got a total dietary sulfur content somewhere around 0.3% which is getting up there. So 0.3 to 0.4% is where you start to expect to have some issues. Um, but the fact that they were not responsive to thiamine, you know, we, we weren't all that confident in that being the issue. Okay. What about lead? So lead, it can be confusing. It can also respond favorably to thiamine. But um, so we, you know, they had some whole blood samples off some of the other affected animals. And so we could do blood lead pretty rapidly and they were all normal, um, which Blood, whole blood, you need whole blood, so it's associated with the red blood cell. And whole blood was negative. They weren't responsive to thiamine, but, you know, the dietary sulfur content was up there. And so it's still a little bit confusing. And then to rule out the, the salt poisoning or, or water deprivation, you need to check sodium in the brain. And so typically on cattle, brain sodium somewhere around 1,600 part per million. This one was 1,800. So it's up there, and 1,800 is about the cutoff where you would expect you know, where I would expect it, um, a lot of these cases will actually be 2,500 to 3,000 part per million. So there's no, there's no smoking gun in your initial analysis to say it was this. We know, it, we, we know it's neurologic lesions in those cattle. And, and then if we talk about their environment a little bit, so there were, it was a big pen and they had 400 head and they had a four hole ball water centrally in the pen. So did you go, did did somebody go investigate the water and look, make sure, is there water? What does it look like? How's, how's the quality? Anything else you're thinking about there as far as the water? That's the big curveball of this. So they went to look at the water and they collected some to send us, you know, for the sulfate analysis. So, and there was water there. And that's the challenge is cattle can handle quite a bit of salt, dietary salt, if there's fresh water available. And at the time there appeared to be. And so that really didn't help either. And the brain sodium... I just want to backtrack one second. So 1800 is kind of borderline, but those animals that live for a couple of days will equilibrate back to somewhat normal. So they could, because they didn't die, right? And and can you do brain sodium on necro on a brain that after necropsy? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. So that, I mean, you got to take the brain and so you fix half, send half fresh. And so we'll check the brain sodium on the fresh half and they'll look at the fixed half microscopically. Okay. But they would have, they would have been after a, what they didn't all die right away. So that would have been after some clinical signs and, and we'll talk through the, the sodium toxicosis, but essentially what you're saying is it could have been high. And then as they lived there in recumbency for a day or two, it equilibrated a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Which happens. We see it, you know, it's, that's the confusing part. You've got the bell curve all, you know, and you're hoping to get on the high side of that to be more confident. But in this case, we just didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and that's is what it is. Well, and you and I, you and I talked a little bit about as you think about that water. And so for this group of cattle, if you figure one gallon per hundred pounds and it's springtime, so they're not overly consuming like they might be in the summer and they're not consuming very little like they might be in the winter. So a gallon per thousand pounds, meaning this group needs about 4,000 gallons of water a day. One of the things we talked about was not just checking is water present, but is it accessible? And accessible may mean, can they all get to it? Are all the balls working? Were any of them stuck? And we talked a little bit about potentially stray voltage or some of the other stuff. Did you check out all of those potential issues that may have limited water intake? Yeah, they looked at the water and, you know, they pulled the balls out just to make it a little bit easier for access. And they didn't note any stray voltage when they took the sample. Um, and usually when, you know, when cattle don't have water, they usually go off feed. And that's the first thing you notice. They're not eating. And so every time cattle don't eat, that's the first thing you check is go check the water. And that didn't happen in this case either, at least on a, a herd-wide basis. So now we're back to how do we figure out what our diagnosis is. And the blood samples for lead negative the there was no thiamine responsiveness which we would expect with sulfur induced polio and the levels in the diet were at 0.3 percent which is a little bit below it's a little bit high but it's a little bit below so we can rule both of those out i probably still wouldn't throw the the you know sulfur associated polio out yet but it's the lead for sure is gone okay and the sodium you know is probably a little bit higher just on an elevated brain sodium. But so I guess the, the, what really broke the case open is calling back and getting some more information. And there had been a thunderstorm that had knocked power out. And my understanding is it didn't knock power out to the house, but it knocked power out on a different grid, which is what powered the well. Oh. And so the producer had no idea that power went out until he had talked to a neighbor and said it was out for two days, Saturday and Sunday or whatever it happened to be. And so that's that's ultimately, I think, where we're going to make a diagnosis is the water or the, you know, they didn't have water. By the time the water got or power got turned back on, they were able to get access to water again and rehydrate. And that's when you run into problems with a salt poisoning case is the rehydration. And I think that's so he wouldn't have known because the power was know. out and didn't know because you got the water in the middle of the pen. Saturday, Sunday, the power's out, the power comes back on, you get water, then you start having cases. How soon after that? A day or two? Pretty quick. How quick? It's usually a pretty quick. So if they're really dehydrated, so, you know, sodium's going to diffuse into the brain, it messes with energy production, and you need energy to pump sodium out of the brain. The problem is when it screws up the energy production, that pump doesn't work. They rehydrate water, follow sodium into the brain. You get the cerebral edema and the swelling. And that'll happen within an hour, a couple hours after rehydration. And that'll depend on the level of dehydration. So it's, you know, it's dependent upon the sodium concentration in the brain. But it's pretty quick. And 
again, it's a bell curve, so you're going to have some animals affected within an hour. You'll have some animals that are affected a couple hours later to even the next day sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And so if it's, it's really when they rehydrate that is the issue. So if I know the water was out or they didn't have access to water for a period of time, and especially on some of the in, – in this case, they're on full feed at the feedlot – they're, they're getting enough salt in their diet that they're going to have salt in their brain. What should I do to, to reacclimate them? Because I don't want to give them full access to water right away. No, and that's the challenge. I mean, you got to get creative. How do you rehydrate? So the, the guidelines are generally replace the level of dehydration over 24 hours. So how do you rehydrate 400 head over 24 hours? With an automatic water. With an automatic water, yep. <laughs> yeah. And it's, so, you know, some of the things we've done is I had cases like this in practice where you just run the water on the ground or if you've got, an, you know, an apron behind the feed bunk, yep. make them slurp it off of that so they can't just chug and chug and chug. Yeah. And, so, and sometimes big groups like this, you've almost got to split them up because you'll have some, you, you'll have, and you mentioned this, there's a gradient of dehydration within that group. Sure. Yeah. And you, that's the 400 head, you would almost have to. Uh, there's been some time, like, in, you know, if you've got them in confinement, you can throw a chunk of plywood over the slats and run water on, on plywood. Just you got to rehydrate them slowly, and it's, there's various ways to do that. Yeah. So in this case, once you found out that the well had been out for a couple of days, it matches with our soap, but our sodium didn't line up perfectly. So you had to have the lab test in conjunction with kind of the background investigation, field investigation of what's going on in the ground. But you were kind of on this initially thinking, boy, this is, it's one of these three diagnoses and my other two are kind of ruled out. So I just got to figure out how that, how that salt makes sense because that matched with the clinical signs you saw. Yeah. And it's like we had talked before, I was, you know, I was wondering about just the amount of water that could be flowed into that watering device, but they've used that pen, you know, that way for a long time. And like you said, it's not August where it's a hundred degrees and it just didn't fit there either. So, so good point because the, not just many of those automatic waters have relatively small capacity, which in a feed yard setting where they have access to the water and are in close proximity to it all the time, the flow may not be as big a deal as it is in a pasture scenario where cattle are going to come up as a group and then they may leave as a group and the flow to refill that water becomes pretty important. So that's one of the things you looked at too is flow and capacity. So what did they do to, so what did you do next with any of the remaining cattle? How did the rest of them come through? Was there any other treatments that you applied besides getting everybody rehydrated? You know, honestly, the the problems kind of stopped after that. So by the time everybody, you know, you Again, you have a gradient, so you've got really severely affected ones, which are the ones everybody sees, and then you know everybody else seemed to do okay, and there hasn't been any other or weren't any other issues, you know, pretty quickly after the fact. And so I think that makes us even more confident because the ration didn't change. The only thing that changed was rehydrating them with the water, and and so no more. Stopped. If it was polio, we would have expected some more issues. We would have expected some more problems. Yeah, and they'll acclimate to dietary sulfur too but yeah and that's i mean that's ultimately it's you know it's presumptive at this point but that's the best we can do i think in this case so i'm going to ask you a question and i think i might know the answer is what what do we do to prevent this i don't know the (laughs) i mean it's everybody knows water access is important but it's you know when you rely on electricity and you don't you have a good way to monitor it monitor it i don't know what what else you could do yeah, so I think there's a, there's a couple things there to think about, and I don't, I don't know the best way either. 
But if, and in this case, the well's on a different circuit than the house, because a lot of times electricity goes out, there's something else you're using on that same circuit or grid that goes out, and you go, huh, I bet the water's out, right? right. That didn't happen in this case. But maybe that's an area that you look at to say, I need some way that I can monitor, and I would know on a daily basis, hey, the electricity's out at the well. Because there are operations that the well is basically what's running on that electric and you got to figure out or check the water every day yeah light pole maybe right above the water yep it'd be you know you could see that from the house but yeah yeah just an unfortunate aligning of the stars i think in this case okay any other follow-up so they're rehydrated they're back going you said the the sulfur you'd keep an eye on no other cases any any other things with this case you'd want to think about you shouldn't expect any long-term issues i mean this is going to be a a short-term thing and if they get over it they should be fine so and no issues with slaughter residues anything like that nope and i think they were going to provide some dietary thiamine in this case just to cover that basis but okay any place to learn a little bit more about salt toxicosis yeah if you get on the the bci website we'll have a toxicology tab and there was some you know short document with show notes and some other references in there if anybody wants to do some more reading excellent Thanks for joining us today, Scott. Interesting case and didn't didn't check all the boxes that we thought to have a smoking gun from the start, but you guys figured it out. Nice job. Yeah, I wish they all read the book, but this <laughs> one didn't.